Good evening, everyone, and welcome to week three of Beneath the Waves with myself, Matt Silver, and our senior practitioner from Complete, Dave Hughes. Good evening, Dave. Hi, Matt. Hi, everyone. Welcome to week three. And we're very excited today to have Dr. Alan Watkins with us. Matt will do a fuller uh, introduction to Alan a little bit later. But before we do that, let's uh, do what we did last week and do a quick reminder of what we covered the week before. And please use the chat just to give us your feedback on how the week's been, how you got on with any practice you've been doing of the e-diary and the e-bank and the things we spoke about last week, any challenges you've had, any help you need. But while you're doing that, let me give you a quick reminder of what we went through last week. So we started by talking about the high performance grid uh, and just how important it is to be in a positive emotional state rather than a negative emotional state. Much more important than activation versus relaxation because being in a positive emotional state means that you can think clearly, you can think creatively, it's good for your long-term resilience, good for your health, good for your energy levels because your heart is giving a nice coherent positive signal to your brain and how breathe really helps you move from that negative emotional state over to the left-hand side of that grid to a positive emotional state. And then we went on to share some additional tools that you can all use to help you manage your own emotions. It all starts with awareness, which is why we said try keeping an e-diary, an emotion diary, uh, and mapping out on that performance grid where your emotions are uh, during each day. How many in the top right, top left, bottom right, and bottom left. Uh, and building your awareness, and as you do that, building your repertoire uh, of emotions. You could have used the Universe of Emotions, which is an app that I, we spoke about, um, that enables you to find new emotions. It clusters emotions around each other, so it's a great way of discovering um, and, and widening your repertoire. And then we spoke about the e-bank skill, which is all about how you manage your energy. So understanding what is it that boosts your energy during the week and what is it that drains your energy uh, and trying to manage your days and your weeks and your time so that you have more boosters in your life and that you manage the drainers effectively uh, so you stay in a high uh, with high energy. So that's a quick reminder of what we did last week. Let's have a look and see, uh, nothing on the chat so far. So I don't know whether that means you haven't been practicing or it's going brilliantly, um, hopefully the latter. Um, but if you've got any questions as we go through, please use the Q&A or the chat and we'll come back to that during our Q&A session at the end. Super, so Dave, um, we've cut down the introduction tonight. Uh, we want to make as much time as possible to hear from Alan. Uh, Alan is a, uh, was a, still is, Alan are you still, I should say, um, a physician, a neuroscientist and also an epidemiologist, which at this time couldn't be better placed uh, and you couldn't get more expertise in one person for the situation that we're, we're currently finding ourselves in. And Alan is recognised as an international expert on leadership and human performance. Over the years he has coached thousands of individuals to greater levels of performance and that's not just in business, that's across many different areas, as I'm sure we'll come on to this evening. And he's transformed organisational cultures and helped leaders discover new ways to succeed. 
I reached out to Alan a year ago when I was looking at the HRV TED Talk that one of your TED Talks that um, that touches upon that and sits behind emotion. Episode one that's available on YouTube and the podcast is available to, to go back to if you want to see the original work on that. Um, but from that conversation with Alan through LinkedIn and how open-minded complete are, um, I was very kind to have Dave uh, come in and support us as a senior leadership team. And we've been working with complete ever since. So good evening, Alan. Um, thank you for all of the support for, for Shaftesbury High School in particular. But um, I know that your work actually started out in education as well. Uh, yes, indeed, Matt. In fact, uh, a lot of the work we do in organisations, uh, it often sort of makes you wonder uh, that you're teaching things to people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, and you wonder, why wasn't this taught at school? And so when we set the company up, uh, for the first three years, we did some pro bono work in 12 inner city schools in Southampton um, and saw some remarkable results. So I'm very passionate about, um, you know, sharing these sort of skills that you, you chaps have been sharing uh, with teachers and, of course, to children, because it makes a massive difference. And we've seen that um, in school. So uh, delighted to be talking to both of you this evening. Okay. So, Alan, we said last week, you know, this week's going to be about how you manage your emotions and going deeper. And we started with the awareness and building the literacy with the e-diary and so on. Um, but this week, if you could share some tools to really help people actually manage their emotions and move out of one emotional state into another emotional state, that would be fantastic. Be delighted to do that. And, and just by way of preface to that, um, one of the things when I was um, a jobbing physician for about 12 years, I often used to sort of think, um, if you're only allowed to teach uh, human beings one thing, what would that one thing be? Um, and I came to the conclusion, the single thing that would make the biggest difference to anybody's life was the ability to regulate their own emotion. Uh, because it changes brain function, and uh, in that change in brain function, you get more clarity. Um, so, uh, and also, um, poorly regulated emotions is kind of like the super highway to many of the diseases I was seeing as a doctor, and there's overwhelming evidence for that. So, I can't recommend highly enough the game-changing nature of the simple fact of getting uh, control of your own emotional state. It's an absolute game changer for any human being and for society at large. Um, and um, there's two things I want to share this evening, uh, which is two of the skills uh, we're going to teach. Um, but before we do, I just want to give a bit of a context um, about how emotion changes the quality of thinking. So just want to ask maybe on a, a quick poll in a second. Imagine you've got an Ofsted report to write and you've sat down at the end of a long day and you're sort of hacking through it. And you get to a point where you just kind of get a brain jam. And you think, ah, oh, um, just not quite sure how to say this. Uh, what am I going to write here? Uh, and you get, which we've all experienced, that sort of stuck a bit of writer's block if you momentary uh, get that. So the question is, what do you do to get unstuck? So we've given you some polling options of, you know, do you, you know, count to 10, phone a friend, have a cup of tea or coffee, you know, have a glass of wine, go for a cigarette, go for a walk, exercise or something else. So just... Uh, those people that are listening in or watching just want them to click on well what do you do when you get stuck um, uh, because uh, 
the first technique I'm going to share with you was sort of built out of um, you know things that people already do. Uh, and I noticed that there were lots of techniques that people had tried. Um, I can see nobody's admitting to having a glass of wine. Exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, chaps and chapesses. It's all anonymous. Nobody knows it's you that's drinking a glass of wine. Possibly you're doing it now. Um, so, um, yeah, if you look at all the techniques that people do, and there, are, this is just seven options for you. There are many, many more. What I noticed is that all of them work sometimes. And so, you know, the commonest one here in this uh, population is people, you know, go for a walk outside, uh, have a cup of tea. What we didn't load up there is sometimes people phone a friend. So I got very interested uh, about when people, um, you know, are stuck and want to clear their mind, clear their head effectively, what do they do? Um, and, uh, you know, when you analyze that and, you know, almost sort of applying medical uh, thinking is what what's the real active ingredient um, I mean what what moves the dial uh, and in this population you know people think the best technique of those offered were to go and have a cup of tea you know make a cup of tea make a cup of coffee and that uh, will um, you know maybe move the dial um, so when I looked at all those different techniques whether it was phone a friend have a cup of tea sleep on it uh, go for a run or whatever it was um, I realized that there were some consistent factors so every single one of those techniques uh, start with the same start point I'm just going to share the screen here um, see if you can um, uh, see this so let me know uh, Dave can you can you see this um, slide here I'll just yep. bring it in a bit bigger so every one of those techniques involve you stopping what you're doing and shifting your attention. So you may shift your attention to the tea or the coffee. You may shift your attention to whatever your friend's saying. If you're, you may shift your attention to the way the wind rustles through the trees. You may shift your attention to uh, a piece of music. But every single one of those techniques involve you stopping what you're doing, which is writing the report and shifting your attention. Every single one of them. Um, and so the next step that they all involved uh, was the induction of a positive emotion. And what I realized it was this thing, the induction of a positive emotion, which determined whether the technique worked or didn't. So sometimes you go for a walk and while you're walking, you tread in chewing gum uh, and it annoys you and you get an induction of a negative emotion. And when you get a negative emotion triggered, uh, your mind doesn't clear. You can't think straight. Or if you phone a friend and the friend amps up your irritation, you know, agrees with your sense of injustice and fuels the flames, then your mind doesn't clear. But if any of those techniques, whether it's count to 10, phone a friend, have a cup of tea or have a cup of coffee, go for a cigarette, if they inadvertently trigger a positive emotion um, and you feel that in your body, so it's not enough that the emotion is triggered, uh, you actually have to physically feel that emotion. So it's not think a happy thought, it's not think positive, because I, I genuinely believe that thinking positive is insufficient. You actually have to feel it in your body. And if you feel that uh, emotion in your body, that positive emotion in, in your body, it will turn your brain back on. So I realized when all those techniques and every single one of them were hit and miss, but when they all worked, they worked for those four reasons. You stopped what you're doing, you moved your attention to whatever it was, 
that thing that you moved your attention to induced a positive emotion. If you really felt it, your brain turned back on and you've got the clarity. So in this first technique, all we added it was an additional step because sometimes you go to make a cup of coffee in the staff room, there's no coffee left. Sometimes you phone a friend, it's engaged or they don't pick up. Sometimes you think, well, I'll go for a walk. It's raining. You can't go for a walk. So all of those things rely on something outside of yourself to be present. Your friend, the coffee, the tea, the cigarette, the weather, whatever it is. So we thought, well, why don't you just rely on yourself? And so we in introduced um, the H, which is focus on your heart. And the reason to focus on the heart is that's where most human beings experience positive emotion. So I might love my children with all my heart. Uh, I might perceive that in my amygdala, my hippocampus, my anterior cingulate cortex, but where I feel the sensation of love is in the center of my chest. So interestingly, if I focus my attention on the center of my chest, it helps induce that positive emotion. And the good news is, of course, wherever you go, your heart goes with you, hopefully. Um, so you don't need to rely on the friend being on the end of the line. You don't need to re rely on the coffee being available, the cigarettes being available, glass of wine being available, or anything, that favorite piece of music being accessible to you. You don't need to rely on anything other than yourself. So when you shift your attention away from the problem, focus on your heart, induce that warm, wonderful feeling, let it flow through every cell in your body and really enjoy and really feel that feeling it turns your brain back on. So if you try that technique, you know, after tonight's call, you know, whenever you're stuck on a problem, put your pen down, just close your eyes for a moment, focus on the heart, do a little bit of that breathing that Katie taught, taught us, breathe through the heart, but most importantly, try and feel a warm, wonderful feeling and really indulge that and enjoy that warm, wonderful feeling flowing through your system you'll find your brain turns back on. And so as your brain turns back on, an idea occurs to you. And that's how it happens. So I'll often say to people, when you've had a bright idea, where do you think the idea was 30 seconds before it occurred to you? Was it in your handbag? Was it in your shoe? Was it in your backpack? And the answer is, no, no, it was already in my mind. But then what, why did it just suddenly land then? I don't know. And, and what we believe is if you change the internal conditions with a shift skill, suddenly the ideas land. So the metaphor we often use, it's like airplanes circling Heathrow Airport. And when it's really foggy, metaphorically, and the fog is chaotic emotion, disturbed emotion, anxiety and panic around health crises or whatever it is, or, you know, inspectors in the school, when your emotions are turbulent, it's like the airport's foggy and you, ideas can't land. That's why you can never think of the smart thing you wish you'd said in the middle of the argument, because your emotions are in a turbulent space. But when you induce a positive emotion, it clears the fog. And suddenly the ideas are landing. Um, and so when you get good at this, you can do it with your eyes open and people don't even know you're doing it. And so you get into a very different space where you have all the ideas available to you because they're already there. So you're able to land these ideas and get much more perceptive um, and when you write down, if you actually get the discipline of, you know, let me just try this. I'll, I'll write down my first idea when I was sort of agitated and I'll put my pen down. I'll go through these simple steps and I'll write down what happens after I felt a positive emotion. And when you can compare the pre and the post, you often see a very dramatic shift.
ironically, when you engage the heart, it often comes out much more rational. Whereas when you're engaging the mind, it's often much more emotional, paradoxically. So I really encourage people to give that a try, shifting their emotional state. Now, the other th thing I'd add here is human beings can shift their emotional state. We do it all the time. You know, our, the weather comes, you know, gets sunny. You know, we start to feel a bit more cheerful. Uh, our favorite piece of music comes on. We feel more cheerful. So we're shifting emotional states all the time. All we're really suggesting here is to do it on purpose when you need to. So that's the first technique, Dave, if that makes sense to you. Yeah, it does, Alan. Yes. Sorry, I was just unmuting. Yeah, yeah. No, and look, and we've talked about this a lot and used it. And Matt's going to give a personal example at the end of this. But maybe quickly show the mastery skill. We're, we're running out of time a little bit. Okay, let me, let me crack on. So, so um, there's two things that you need to know is you need to be able to change how you feel and shift is a way of doing that. And just, just start practicing. You can shift. It's much, much easier than you realize. But even just giving it a go, can I shift from whatever I'm in, bored, to exuberant? Can I shift just to bored to patient? Can I shift at all? So just starting to try to change your emotions, to trigger a positive. So put your favorite piece of music on, you know, pump up the volume, go into a state of exhilaration. But once you've shifted, then the second technique's required is, well, if you've got to the planet of exhilaration, can you stay there? And so the second technique uh, was a mastery technique. Um, and how that works, really. Sorry, Alan, uh, just, just, to, yeah. just to cut in there, where, where you're talking about getting to those emotions, are you talking about choosing certain emotions that then suit that, that state and, and the time that you're going into? So, so for example, Dave's talked about this in, in prior to meetings or when you've had a bad meeting and you have another. Um, is there an emotion to pick out on? Is there something that you, you sort of recommend as a, as a focus or, or do you build a number of these? Well, both of those is true, right? So ultimately, uh, you pick out one, right? You pick the emotion for the situation that you're facing. Um, but in the first instance, just shifting. You need to develop the ability to change. Um, and so that is the first goal. It's kind of just change from whatever I'm into something else. But with a bit more practice, you start to wondering what I'm changing to. So when we were teaching the Olympic athletes coming up to London 2020, uh, 12 and then Rio 2016, particularly the rowers, we actually had an emotional plan for the entire race. And so we turned the, taught them to turn on different emotions at different parts of the race. Um, and it helped them win the medal. So they had such control. So ultimately, if you're a, a teacher going into a lesson and an offset inspector is sitting in there, what emotion is most appropriate? You know, maybe it's upbeat, maybe it's resolute, maybe it's engaging, you know, so ultimately, you'll select the emotion that's required for that meeting, that lesson, that classroom, that pupil, um, you know, that sporting activity. Uh, but in the first instance, just shifting uh, is what you're really practicing doing. So imagine you're now good at shifting. Then you're getting to, well, what, how do I, once I get to a new emotion, um, and the way to do this is to master the, an individual emotion. The best way to start that is actually try and master a positive emotion when it happens spontaneously. So if you notice at any point in your week, you've drifted accidentally into a positive emotion, just observe it, right? And now this is an observational technique. This isn't a visualization or an imagination. Imagine the state of contentment or try and visualize a contenting scene. No, no, if contentment arises in you, 
observe it, just sort of close your eyes and look at it momentarily. Then open your eyes and try and write down as many features as you can of that particular emotional state. So if you notice and observe the emotion you're experiencing, try and really feel the different types of energy in your body and capture the, your experience on a sheet. And I'll show you the kind of sheet that we use in our work. Um, and then you can return to it time and time again. So what we've done is provide people with sheets. And there are three types of features in emotions that you can notice. So what you might call the basic features. So where in the body is that emotion? And as I said before, many of the positive emotions focus on the center of the heart. Um, you know, some of the negative emotions uh, are in the guts. But where in your body are you feeling it? How big is that? Is it the size of a pea? Is it the size of an orange? Is it the watermelon? Does it fill the whole chest cavity? Um, what color is it? Is it jet black? Is it orange? Is it red? Is it blue? And is that color consistent all over the body? Does it have a particular shape, a triangle, a square, a, a rectangle? You know, is it an amorphous shape? Um, what level of intensity does it operate with on a 0 to 10 scale where one is barely perceptible and 10 is orgasmic? What, how intense is this feeling? Does it have a sound? And these are questions we've never really as human beings asked ourselves. But actually, uh, even when you say to people, well, you know, what sound was that emotion? And most people say, I have no idea. And then if you offer them some alternatives, so say they were trying to master the state of excitement and they say, well, what sound does excitement make? I've no idea. And the reason they've no idea, they've never really thought about it. I say, well, does it make this sound? Oh. And they go, well, no, no, that's not the sound of excitement. What about this sound? Oh. No, 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 that's not the sound either. What about this sound? Yes. And they go, yeah, that's more like it. And so actually, what you do, even though they've never thought about it, when you give them prompts, they can actually identify. And the same is true of color and all these other features. Well, what's the color of contentment? I don't really know. Well, is it jet black? Oh, no, no, it's not jet black. So you know what it isn't. So just start to try and hone in on, well, what is it then? And you can't get it wrong. It's a subjective experience that you're trying to objectify. You're trying to define what is that experience. So when you talk about contentment, what is it you're really feeling? What is the sound, the shape, the size, the temperature, the color uh, of, in, of contentment? And then there's movement features. How does that contentment move through the body? Does it go up the body? Does it go down the body? Does it go to the fingertips? Does it go to the tip of the head? Does it go to the tip of the toes? And in what way does it move? Does it move slowly? Does it move as a whoosh? Is it swirling? Does it, is it firing off in all directions? And so that's within the body. And how does it move off the body? So does it radiate? Does it stop at the skin? Does it radiate an inch, a foot, two foot? Does it fill the whole room? Does it fill the room front and back? So all you're really doing is you're trying to convert something that's normally a sub subjective internal experience and you're objectifying it. This is called a subject to object maneuver. So you're objectifying, you're turning something that is normally hidden to you and subjective and you're objectifying and you're trying to write down the descriptions. And then you, there are special features. It puts a spring in my step. It brings a smile to my face. It's the tear of joy. There are special features. So if you just sort of sketch out, and again, you cannot get this wrong. It's your experience of contentment. Nobody else's, yours. So just start to sketch it out. And then what we encourage you to do is to return to that sketch time and time. And the sketch becomes a very rich textured, a bit like an oil painting. And the more features you put on it, the easier it is to get a grip of that particular emotion. And therefore you can hold on to it and sustain it for much longer. 
And then once you've objectified it and you've got a detailed description, you can reinstall it into your own system and re-experience the contentment. And so if you learn to shift to a different emotion and you learn to master a specific emotion, you'll find that you've got two of the most critical skills that you're going to need as a human being. Um, and soon we're going to be releasing this app. Here's a piece of research, uh, if those of you can see, rather than just listen to the podcast, there was a bit of research which was done all over the world as people coloured emotions. So uh, we're going to be releasing an, an app relatively soon to help everybody do all the things that we've been talking about on these Beneath the Ways podcasts, where you'll be able to do this on your phone, uh, the shape, the size, the colours, the sound, the intensity, and so on, um, and construct your own suite of emotional states, which you're familiar with, and share them with your friends, see how they experience them, and so on. Um, so as you master any one emotion, you'll find over time that when you're feeling um, off kilter, if you've mastered the, the state of buoyant, that's a really good antidote to feeling out of balance. You know, if you're feeling frustrated, one of the best antidotes is patience. So love isn't the antidote to every single negative emotion, despite what the poets might say. What you discover over time is there are certain positive emotions that are really excellent antidotes to other negative emotions. So you start to build up a repertoire of positive emotions that you can shift to and then turn on, hold and master. Does and we don't sense? have to stick with the colours that you've, you've found there. Um, no, no. I mean, this is just... And that doesn't... Yeah. Um, fortunately, it's not up there. But, uh, it's... It's unique whether, to you. I wonder, I mean, we're sort of the, the half hour that we um, have for this is sort of coming to an end. We are going to, just as we did last week, keep this open and, and open it up to voice to all of you, uh, for those of you who want to stay on. But I think, Matt, I mean, you've got some really personal experience of, of using these skills and it'd be quite nice to bring it to life and give a real example of that. Perhaps you could do that really quickly and then we'll sort of end the, end the formal bit and move into the forum and anyone wants to stay and explore this further, we can do that together. Yeah, I, th I think there's some real depth there and, and you can talk to Alan all evening and, and find out more and more as you go, as, as, as myself and Dave have certainly experienced. Um, but the opportunity that I had when Dave came in to, to run this with our team was very much around, okay, where did I find my, my passion for leadership and where did I find my first sense of fulfillment? So for me, stepping back and experiencing that has always been on my residential trips down to the south of France, where I first really took a, a leadership role outside of, of captain of the football team. And it was always on the Friday, I stepped back from the group and watched the group function as its own unit. And, and I approached my leadership in a very... Uh, organic way in that sense of really trying to generate my, my team to to build itself and, and to cohesively come together. So stepping back into that state when I'm challenged around my style of leadership or am I perhaps being too organic, actually I can step back into really seeing the green of the grass that surrounds the group and feeling the texture of that grass almost within my heart and the shape of that being a very uh, circular effect. And I think that comes from, from how the group came together and therefore was very whole. The feeling to me has always been sort of a, a light murmur of, of movement 
and, and that just gives me a really happy sense of fulfillment and that's the emotion that i i go back to is fulfillment and, and and not trying to control others so that sense of fulfillment allows me to really step back and and just go hang on a minute this is this is learning for everyone this is the opportunity to learn so i, I would go into a bit more depth but i'm conscious of the time on, on that dave um but i just want to say thank you very much to alan for, for coming on this week obviously we're pulling together the work of the first two episodes into the third and, and most certainly we should try and get alan back onto the show as we come to to the sixth week and we've got a few more guests lined up as well in the coming weeks so thank you very much to, to you alan as dave said we'll be hosting questions but uh, from the show side of things and what's available on youtube and on the podcast thank you very much for for joining us this week and we look forward to seeing you next week on Beneath the Waves. Thanks, chaps. So we'll say, so if you've got any questions, do post them on the chat or the Q&A, or I think Matt's going to open it up so that we can all hear each other. Yeah, so I'm um, going to invite attendees in. Um, and uh, if anyone wants to put their hand up, please put your hand up and um, we shall... Uh, I, I'm realising that I'm allowing you all to talk right now. So... Uh, we'll try and, and take one question at a time as I'm adding everyone on. I don't think any videos are available, so you should be fine from that point. Um, does anyone have a question? Um, so Krupa's posted one on the chat there. Uh, hello, all. the e-diary was a fascinating process. I'm so aware of how my emotions feel so differently because of the current crisis. I aim to continue this and compare when I resume some form of norm. I, uh, so comparing between the two, I learned most about myself in this process. I have read and talked about regulating emotions, but doing it is actually quite tricky. How would you begin the shift process within a team? I don't know when Cooper asked that, but I, it's definitely part of... Uh, so no. if, if I might respond there, Matt, um, uh, I, I just get going. I mean, uh, you know, when should we start doing anything? Uh, just get a conversation going, you know, and it, and for me, it starts with, well, when you are stuck in a negative emotional state, what do you do now? I mean, what, what are your current techniques? And you'll find it's a list of those things. Well, I, you know, I, I, I tried to clear my head, go for a walk, or I, you know, I kicked the cat or something. I mean, everybody does something, right? Um, so then go, well, look, actually, if we were to deconstruct and analyze those somethings that we all do, and try and look for the active ingredient. When it works, why does it work? Um, and so just get a conversation going with a team about what are your current strategies and how effective are they? And most strategies have hung around over the years because they work occasionally. Um, and so they uh, say, well, actually, why don't we all just try this? Uh, because we've all got hearts and none of us have all got cats or dogs or the ability to walk outside during the uh, pandemic. Um, but we've all got hearts and we can all focus on our hearts. So it's something that we can all do wherever we live, uh, whatever our living circumstances, whatever classroom we're in, whatever staff room we're in, we can all do it. So just encourage people and just start the conversation. That would be my uh, encouragement there. And, and, and I've had a, some feedback from that midweek, Ellen, around how do I start if I'm a middle, middle manager or a middle leader um, and, my, and my senior leader's not on top of this and feels it's a bit wishy-washy. Right. Yeah, it's a great question. So, so um, uh, first rule of emotional regulation, it's not about them. It's about you. So stop trying to change everybody else. Uh, first you, then them. 
So, um, and, and you see, when we did the work in schools, um, you know, way back when, um, there's a very strong kind of passionate desire amongst teachers, particularly to help the children. And you also see it in many caring professions. Uh, they think and they're identified, my role here is to help others, which it is, but you can't help others if you don't first help yourself. So, you know, um, we encourage you, don't worry about anybody else in the world. Uh, start with you. And if you shift your own emotional state, that will clear your mind and you'll come up with a better way forward with that other person who's being tricky or difficult. So you first, then them. So these are skills to practice for yourself. Um, and then you, once you've got the clarity, and you've got control of your own emotional state, you're much more likely to figure out how do I trigger this senior member of staff or how do I come up with a, a way of talking, a way of telling a story or a way of engaging with them that might shift them. So I'd, I'd worry less about them in the early stages. Sort yourself out first, get really good at that and maybe role model it. Maybe a bit that will inspire them because they'll see the shift in you. You seem to be much calmer, much more at ease with yourself. Uh, that might trigger their curiosity. So again, worry less about them. Focus on yourself first is what I'd say to that. Dave, did you pick um, up? We've been in, asked a very interesting one, Matt, on, um, on the Q&A. So Elizabeth Kosky is asking us, looking at leadership character strengths, what do you both think your top skills are? <laughs> Intro, do you want to start? Uh, is that for myself or Alan? That's, uh, I, both you go, Matt. I'm not sure. Maybe we can go all three. Um, so myself and Dave have, have come up with words around uh, the one word that would describe us best. Uh, so for, for me, it's unlock. So again, it's unlocking the potential of others. Uh, that, that very much is my purpose. Dave, do you want to say something? For me, I, well, I'd say, yeah, I think um, an intuition to get behind what's really going on in the moment and whether that's a conversation that's happening and actually being able to intuit that there's more behind this conversation than the people are saying or in a meeting or in an environment. So just having those antennae that's able to sort of detect what isn't being said and what isn't being communicated, I think is a skill that's helped me throughout my whole life. What, and if I may, I mean, I'd certainly agree with both of you. Matt's got uh, an incredible ability to unlock the potential in others, and Dave is very intuitive. Uh, I'd like to answer questions slightly differently because um, what I think is really important here is not what my strengths are, or frankly, anybody's strengths are, uh, but what level of maturity we operate with. Um, because if you look at the leadership literature, um, everybody's got a different set of strengths and there isn't one set of strengths frankly that predicts success everybody's got a different set of strengths whether it's intuition or the ability to unlock and you know the source of our magic um, but what excites me is what level of maturity uh, and if we can unlock uh, more levels of maturity then people uh, have a much greater level of fulfillment much more effective in their life so it's a bit like you know you can describe the strengths of a six-year-old but what we're trying to do is to enable that human being to mature to a 12-year-old, to an 18-year-old, to a 24-year-old, to a 32-year-old. Um, 
So for me, it's less about the strengths that you've got. That's not the game changer. It's more about what level of maturity or sophistication you're operating from. Sorry, somebody's got their microphone on and is, is talking there. Are you right just to mute unless you've, you've got a question? I've muted and somebody. Who speaking of that, some it. people are open uh, without their, their mute button on. So does, does anyone have a question there? Somebody asked a question I saw about that. Could your shift skill be applied to an over overactive brain when trying to sleep? Mm. Um, uh, well, there's quite a few techniques, really, that you need to train because uh, most bright people do have overactive brains. Um, and so one of the things, uh, I wouldn't necessarily use the shift skill at that moment. One of the things I found very useful is to try and anchor yourself in the here and now. So when your mind is racing, and particularly if you've got a lot on your mind, or particularly anxious or worried, you wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning and your mind starts racing. And as soon as you start noticing your mind's racing, you start wrestling with it and fighting with the racing mind, trying to stop it. Uh, so if you shift your attention to something real immediate, like how are your knees touching each other? How are your ankles touching each other? How's the duvet over your shoulder? How does the pillow, and you just keep rotating round, relatively dull, uh, bits of information um, and just keep moving your attention to the here and now and anchoring in the here and now if you add that together with slowing your breathing down significantly um, and getting the temperature right because you need to to go back to sleep you need to drop your temperature by about two degrees c so if you shove a leg outside the duvet shove a leg outside the duvet um, slow your breathing right down and anchor your attention in the here and now and just keep moving around relatively dull bits of information, uh, you might find you'll drop back off to sleep uh, much more easily rather than trying to deliberately turn on a positive emotional emotion and resting with it. So it's a slightly different approach than a full shift skill. Just one more, Alan, that's just come in. Will Complete be working in education in the future? So Krupa, Krupa's uh, also in Shaftesbury High School. And so Krupa, you know that I've been working with you and Matt for the last nine months but maybe alan you want to say something about uh the question yeah. uh well um the, the purpose of the company is to develop enlightened leaders in all walks of life because we think suffering flows from poor decision making um you know of um you know well-intentioned people uh but uh you know they're seeing a, a partial picture so um whilst most of our work is with uh, uh in the corporate space with uh, multinational companies uh, we do do, and we're already beginning to do some work in education, like we did 10 years ago, is we're starting that up again. Uh, and we work with um, uh, professional athletes, whether they're Olympic athletes uh, or professional sports people. Uh, we're starting even to do a little bit of work in, in the political sphere. So enlightened leaders in all walks of life, because it's a game changer. So whoever you are, whatever you're doing, learning to regulate your emotion as the start point is a game changer in your life. Um, so we're very happy to have any teachers reach out to us. Uh, and I'm sure Matt and Dave uh, will be happy to respond to you and see what we can do to help you. And we're constantly developing more resources that will be coming into the schools like the app and uh, various other resources. But certainly uh, Dave and Matt can help support you. So just encourage anybody who's interested in getting more uh, information, you know, maybe more support, just reach out to us and we'll respond to you. 
Uh, as Simon's put down here, can you help me? Um, how can I maintain a positive outlook when the news is frightening and the outlook is not clear? Uh, it's a challenge is, is the simple answer to that. Um, but if you look at the research on um, hardiness, you know, that uh, sort of resilience, um, there's, there's two paths that lie ahead. One is a path that leads to um, poor health, uh, poor performance and ongoing uh, problems. Um, and, uh, you know, when the stress gets really bad, it takes you down to things like PTSD or permanent anxiety, permanent depression. Um, but interestingly, uh, there is another path. Um, so rather than sort of a PTSD type scenario, there's a PTG, um, post-traumatic growth. And it's that path that we encourage people to go down, which is start practicing some of the things that Dave and Matt uh, and, and I shared with you this evening. And being able to, first of all, regulate your emotion, but the ultimate game changer is something slightly deeper, which is trying to find meaning in the crisis. Mm. Um, and Viktor Frankl wrote a beautiful book, Man's Search for Meaning. He was a Holocaust survivor. Um, and you'll see this in many people who've suffered terrible trauma and they find some meaning in it. And certainly when I was doctoring, now I've had so many patients over the years say, do you know what, that cancer diagnosis was the best thing, that, that heart attack was the best thing that ever happened. And you think that's sort of weird that people say such things, but it woke them up and it caused them to change their life uh, and to make some significant positive change. And that's the meaning making in the trauma. But the first step is this emotional regulation that we've been sharing with you. But ultimately, uh, you know, that enables you to go into the deepest, darkest caves uh, of who you are and actually make meaning out of the crisis. And if you can get to that, you know, what will we have learned from this pandemic as a species? You know, will humanity make meaning out of this terrible scenario? And if we can do that, we'll all be the better for it. So emotional regulation first and then meaning making second. Agreed. Agreed. And it is about practice and it isn't easy. As Alan said, it's not easy. You know, none of the things we share with you are quick fixes. It does need practice. And I think I shared last week that I'd had a horrible morning because I'd read the papers all morning and I've got a daughter who's a nurse and I just got myself into this really sort of scared, anxious state. And I did just, I, I went through the steps. I, I shifted. I actually... And I sat down and I practiced the breathe skill uh, and I practiced moving my, my emotion. Whereas in the past, I would have probably gone to binge eat some chocolate out of the fridge or something else. Um, and that, you know, that doesn't ever go away, that sort of response in me. So you have to keep practicing. And the more you practice, the better you get at it and the more able you are to do it. Um, which is why we're called practitioners not coaches right so because we, even today and i've been teaching this bit i practice every day uh and there's this um you know we are what we practice if we practice feeling panicky we get good at it if we practice feeling worried we get good at that too uh, but the good news is is if we practice feeling optimistic if we practice feeling appreciation we can get really good at that too and and appreciation is a very powerful very simple but very powerful emotion um you know which most human beings it's down the sort of shallow end of the seventeen thousand positive emotions it's possible to feel appreciation would be down the shallow end just simple appreciation for the fact that we can breathe in and out just simple appreciation that our eyes work for most of us just simple appreciation 
the fact that our fingers and okay. we've got dexterity. So just simple practice um, uh, of appreciation can make a radical difference. So uh, Helen's touched back into the SLT point here and said, how would you instigate conversations amongst your SLT to facilitate us to discuss emotions, especially under current working remote practices and rising pressure over schools reopening? Dave, is that an answer for a uh, coming week? Because I think we're moving on to that. In, in we are talking we, but again, again, I think worth saying, I mean, if you look, Matt, at how you did this at your school. So again, start with awareness. And what Matt did was bring a list of, I think it was 30 or 50 or 80, the sort of most common emotions and had that on his board and talked about it in his senior leadership team and actually encouraged people to talk about how they were feeling, which at the beginning is really weird, but the more you do it, the more people get used to it. Um, and, and so, you know, start with awareness and just build it to make it completely because most I'm sure schools are like many businesses, you know, talking about your feelings is not something we're normally encouraged to do. And particularly, you know, men, even more than women are quite often brought up not to express your feelings. So just getting it out there, talking about it, sharing it, and then building your skills as you go through building breathe into, uh, you know, why don't you start a meeting with a couple of minutes of the breathe skill? Uh, very weird first time you do it, but after you've done it a few times, it starts to become more and more natural. I, I think we found changes as well in the, in, in the in the dynamics with certain members of staff already on that boat, and and we found that sort of one to one small groups starting it not necessarily with your whole team, but can you start it in small smaller groups and then bring it together with that team when you have that tipping point as well. I mean, not to resist doing it and, and hold off, but you can really uh, just, if, if you're getting, it's like anything with teaching, the more you teach it, the better you get. So the more you can practice this with colleagues, if you don't have that confidence to, to step into your, your whole SLT team to do this, practice with different members and, and build up that, that culture. And if I can add in, a few people have been talking about this, growing through what you go through. Um, now, that is entirely possible, but it doesn't necessarily follow. And I remember when I was doctoring is, um, you know, I'd often been in the room when a patient had taken their last breath. And it's really quite a profound moment. And I'd be stand, stood there with another colleague. So we'd be going through the exact same experience. Um, and when that happened, it's so profound, I'd have to stay there for 10 minutes and just sort of process it all and sort of make sense of it. Uh, but I could be stood next to somebody else who went through the exact same experience and learned nothing. They go, oh, patients died. Oh, right. Okay, lunch. And then they clear off to lunch. And I'd have to stay there for 10 minutes. So whilst it's entirely possible to grow through what you go through, that doesn't happen necessarily. It's not a given. And so uh, I honestly believe that in order, to, in order to grow through what you go through, uh, to, to mine out uh, the growth in any experience, you have to pay attention. You have to manage your emotion in the moment and then try and make meaning out of that moment, even if that moment's a profound moment like somebody passing away. Um, so it doesn't necessarily follow. Just because you go through a lot of things, you learn much and you, and you develop. You, you don't necessarily learn and develop. 
So what we're trying to do is to try and how do you make sure that whatever you go through does result in growth? Because it, you know, human, humanity might go through a pandemic. We went through the global financial crisis, but we didn't grow much as a result. Nothing much changed. So the hope you know, through COVID is it will wake more people up and we will grow up as a result. But that's the big question, will it? Um, and so part of what we're sharing, um, Matt, Dave, myself, is trying to ensure that people do grow through uh, what they go through. And I, I know we haven't mapped out the values and egos, Dave, into the six weeks, but I think if we can definitely build it in somewhere. Definitely one of the most uh, profound pieces of reading that, that I've come across around adult development. And Alan, it's, it's not hugely spoken around uh, in, in, in leadership circles yet. It, no, it's, it's probably the number one trend in leadership is, but not many people have woken up to it because we've had 40, 50 years of description of strengths 